Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine coming at you from Seal Fit Headquarters in sunny Encinitas, California. Listen, today I'm excited to have a conversation with my friend Rob Wolf, who is the author of The Paleo Solution. Now, Rob uh, worked with the guy who kind of came up with the whole paleo concept, or not the concept, but the paleo diet, a guy named Lauren Cordain. And he worked with Lauren and did some deep research, and then he took it out into his own private business and has been you know, coaching people in nutrition and, of course, functional fitness for, for many years with pretty astounding results. And now Rob is uh, definitely a nutrition nerd, and he's got more information. You know, He can say more about nutrition right, in two minutes than I would ever be able to say in an hour. I mean, he, he is super, super knowledgeable, and it's very, very fun. And this is really valuable information near and dear to our heart at SealFit uh, to help you um, not just uh, train harder and better physically, but to fuel yourself properly, okay? And and fueling your body has a major impact. You know, we like to say that it's about 50% of the game. So if physical training is 50% and mental training is 50%, well, nutrition is the other 50%. So there you go. You got 100%, 150% to work with. Let's go to the uh, to the interview with Rob. Have fun. And before we start, oh yeah, just a reminder, if you're not on our email list, then Drop your email into the opt-in form at sealfit.com. This is how you're going to stay up to date on the latest podcast, latest blog, the latest SealFit TV episode, which we roll out every week, as well as the weekly workout and any challenges and all sorts of cool stuff, including special discounts and offers that are only available to those on our email list. All right, so do it. And here we go with Rob Wolf. Hoo-yah. Rob and I have uh, known each other kind of uh, casually for a couple of years now. I don't think we've actually met in person, have we, Rob? I don't think so yet. We, we, we kind of run in the same circles, but I, I don't think yeah. we've ended up in the same room yet. Yeah. I know. I think so. I, I, I keep looking for you at these events and stuff, and I'm, I, I'm sure that we'll, you know, if we don't organize a, a meetup, then we'll, we'll suddenly bump into each other, you know, sometime soon. We're not, I'm looking forward to that. But, um, you know, I'm a big fan of your writing, and, um, you know, I've I've learned a lot, and I and I draw a lot from your work, and so I thought, you know, it'd be a great honor to have you on the show. Now, let me give you a little background. Um, the Unbeatable Mind program came out of my work with the SealFit Academies, and I've been, you know, teaching these immersion academies. Um, you might be aware of those uh, uh, programs. I've, I've been running them for about four years now, kind of in in uh, concert with our Kokoro camp. And so I bring folks in for a week and up to three weeks. The three weeks being our um, kind of um, flagship program. And during these academies, I have uh, about 15 people who live on site with me. They train from five in the morning until, you know, eight or so at night, sometimes later. 
And um, then, of course, the grad, you know, graduation ceremony for these guys is the 50-hour Kokoro camp. Um, the results are, you know, just almost astonishing to see what happens to these um, people over this three-week period. And, you know, we really get into a lot of discussions about food, and we feed them, right? And so we try to stick to the paleo diet, but then, of course, you know, it sometimes just flies out the window when we're, you know, training late into the night or we're at a location where we don't have, you know, access to, you know, kind of the perfect food source, if you know what I mean. And so, um, anyways, nutrition is, is, a, is something that's really important to the, um, to the academy, as is all the other um, mental toughness and, and leadership and warrior spirit training. And so in, a, in an uh, effort to reach a much, you know, kind of broader audience and try to bring some of the concepts that I teach in the academy setting, sounds the hardcore physical training, I launched the Unbeatable Mind Academy uh, in November. And so this call is part of that academy. As I mentioned to you, we, um, we you know, hold a subject matter expert call every month and, and record it and archive it. First time we've used blog talk radio, though. So anyways, that's, you know, welcome to the Unbeatable Mind uh, blog talk radio call. And uh, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So I'm really excited to have you. So what I would do is, I, you know, rather than me blab, people have heard me blab enough here. What I wanted to do is just kind of, you know, have a conversation with you. Um, and then what we'll do is um, we'll see if we can ferret some questions, if we can figure out how this uh, system works. If not, now I've got a ton of questions of my own. But I mean, we just start with um, you know, just kind of a general background, Rob, like where you're from and kind of how you got into both fitness and, and your uh, interest in nutrition. Oh gosh, that, that's a potentially quasi-long story. Uh, I was a, <laughs> that's okay. a California State uh, powerlifting champion back in the day. Had a 565 squat, 565 dead, and a 345 bench at about 181 pounds. That was in the the Good teenage God. division, and and uh, wow. always kind of a strength and power athlete. Like uh, right. you know, just kind of oriented that way. Um, have done some kickboxing, a little bit of jujitsu, and stuff like that. But you know, I've right. always been interested in performance, health, longevity, uh, it, at some point along the line, I, I kind of shifted my eating in a kind of high-carb, low-fat, kind of vegetarian sort of approach, and it, it made right. me wickedly ill and just about killed me, and um, kind of giving you the reader's digest on that, and that that was really how I came across this whole paleo diet concept, was uh, trying to figure out how I was going to eat so that I didn't have ulcerative colitis and high blood pressure and all the stuff that a high-carb, you know, grain-based diet had done to me. And, and uh, right. that was almost 15 years ago, and that led okay. me into uh, uh, doing research, a uh, research fellowship with Professor Warren Cordain, who's the, the author of The Paleo Diet and right. uh, kind of the, the guy that really cracked this thing open on a on a larger scale. And we eventually, I with my wife, eventually opened a Jim in Northern California, we were one of the, the uh, first CrossFit affiliates. We, we were CrossFit NorCal originally. Now we're NorCal Strength and Conditioning. We were the fourth affiliate. I helped uh, co-found the first and fourth affiliates in in history, I guess, and, and uh, right. worked with those guys for a while doing nutrition stuff and then uh, eventually kind of did my own thing, wrote a New York Times bestselling book on this topic, have a podcast that's ranked between, like, number one and number four on iTunes and the, the nice. kind of health and fitness genre, usually the folks that are um, duking it out with are, like, Jillian Michaels or, or you know, somebody that's got, like, an international uh, TV show or something like that. Right, and, right. And, and so, you know, I kind of draw that stuff as being kind of an indication that what we're doing is 
it, it's definitely popular, but if it's, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, well, why is it popular? And the, the thing that I draw from that is just that it, it's probably working. You know, otherwise folks would Exactly, yeah, it works. You, That's you know, why it's popular. Yeah, yeah. You know, they wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't share notes with, with folks. Uh, we've had a big reach out from, like, the uh, – Naval Special Warfare and the operator community, um, mm-hmm. you know, just, just, uh, uh, you know, in addition to, uh, helping folks with a, a host of like, uh, degenerative diseases, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, multiple sclerosis, stuff like that, you know, so I mean, right. we, right. we seem to be bracketing like the elite level athletic scene as well as the, the folks who are really, really sick and using a, a prescription that really isn't that much different. You know, one is higher calorie than the other, one may be higher carb than the other, but really at the end of the day, it doesn't look all that much different. Right, I understand that. Back to um, to Leon Cordain, you know, he is the, the father of the paleo diet. Did you just stumble into that just because he was teaching at the school, or did you kind of seek him out, or how did that come about? That's pretty interesting. Well, well you know, it, uh, when I was sick, I was just, stumped about what the heck I, I was supposed to do because, it, you know, again, I was eating this high-carb, low-fat, vegetarian diet. Um, my doctors thought that the, the diet was the only thing keeping me alive while I had a 140 over 90 blood pressure. I had ulcerative colitis so bad they wanted to do uh, uh, surgery on me. And so I, I just didn't know what to do. And then uh, we discovered that my mom had a, ho- a couple of different um, autoimmune diseases, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis being kind of the biggies. And her doctors figured out that she had an intolerance to grains and she had an intolerance to, to dairy being kind of the really big ones there. Right. And when, when I thought about that, I was kind of like, and she also had some problems with legumes. So it was like grains, legumes, and dairy. And so when I was thinking about this thing, I was like, well, what the heck do you eat if you don't eat grains, legumes, and dairy? And when, you know, when right. did, when did those things hit the, the dietary scene for humans? And I right. had this old, you know, kind of, you know, train of thought and what popped into my head was paleo diet. You know, I had heard this concept batted around uh, this idea of eating the way that our evolutionary ancestors ate and that that might somehow be beneficial based on, you know, genetic adaptation for a particular environment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I I literally just like put paleo diet in a a search engine, found Lauren and started reading all of his, his work. And this is back in 1998. So there there wasn't much out there, but even what was out there clearly indicated that, you know, this uh, shift from a hunter-gatherer way of life to an agriculturalist way of life seemed to have some pretty significant problems with regards to health, particularly with some gastrointestinal kind of kind of health. Right. And uh, so that's yeah, right. Um, found it, yeah. Sorry about that. I, was, I bet, you know, I feel like I could allude to your book. I love, you know, how you kind of trace, um, you know, looking at skeletal um, records of kind of our, our caveman ancestors, and they've got really um, perfect teeth and you know well-formed bone structures and all that. And then you, know, you compare that to the to the modern uh, human, right? Who's just a complete wreck when they put them in the ground. And how that really um, came about, right? Right when the agrarian revolution came, we started eating basically you know wheat and and those mass-produced foods, and how you know our diet's gone to shit since then. Yeah, I mean, these are reading less, less protein, reading, um, you know, not, not as much, uh, vitamins, minerals and stuff like that when we're including the grains. And, and folks will kind of, you know, they'll raise an eyebrow about this stuff. They're kind of like, I don't know, this seems kind of wacky. But one, one of the best indicators that I've got is, uh, how many folks have had their wisdom teeth pulled. And, right. and just about everybody I can think of, you know, typically they, they have their wisdom teeth pulled, they get them pulled because, 
there's dental crowding, you know, you don't have enough room in your, your jaw to house these things and they come in and packed it and whatnot. And does it, you know, why the heck is it like that? And it's because the, you know, we're eating comparatively a nutrient poor diet. We don't get the normal formation of our dental arches. And so we have problems with these, these final adult molars coming in and, uh, you know, think about what dentistry would have been like in the, the Paleolithic. You know, it's it's non-existent, and uh, right. that's kind of a, a, a game changer or a game ender, depending on how you look at it. If uh, if it's the norm for your teeth to come in and not have enough room, and then you become septic and die from it, that's kind of a problem. So that that's right. one of the the really you know like people can kind of wrap their head around like, oh yeah, maybe maybe if things were different, if I ate differently, if my mom ate differently. And that affected the way that I, I'm developing and growing. Then I should actually have enough room to fit all of those those molars in. Right, right. You know, I'm just assuming that everyone on our call here is is familiar with the the basics of the paleo solution. You know, kind of what this prescription is. Um, but why don't we just, you know, before we get too far and, and make too many assumptions, just kind of recap at a very high level you know, what it is. What, is it, what does it mean to eat like a caveman and what, what to avoid, you know, from sure, the modern diet? Sure. You know, for me, the exclusion deal is the easiest. You know, it, it, right. we would put a, you know, kind of a no grains, no legumes, no dairy, and then from there it seems kind of obvious what you would eat. But <laughs> that never turns right. out that way. So, I mean, it, it, you know, what we're really focusing on is uh, good protein sources, you know, chicken, fish, meat, pork, you know, uh, uh I, I joke and I say it needs to have a face and a soul and you need to kill it and bring the sessions <laughs> into your being and so people can right. usually identify with that. And then we're getting carbs more from like fruits, vegetables, sweet potatoes, white potatoes and stuff like that if, if you're real active and lean um, right. it, instead of bread, rice, pasta uh, kind of kind of stuff. Like we're steering clear of grains in general. But again, I, I don't tackle nor do I recommend folks tackle this thing as, as a religious doctrine. So what we're doing right. is creating a template for people to tinker with in the hopes that this is going to provide better performance, health, and longevity. And, and I think we have some really strong uh, uh, markers that we can use to assess this to see whether or not that's true or false. But, you know, we start with good protein, lots of fruits and veggies, um, good fats from like coconut, olive oil, uh, those sorts of things, um, just generally kind of minimizing like the the, the grain legume dairy kind of scene. But there again, you know, like if, if you're, if somebody's deployed, if somebody's in a real austere environment, then we need to be a little bit more, uh, you know, flexible with the way that we're eating. But those are, those are the basics. And the, you know, again, similar to, um, you know, if you have a situation where you have a top of the line gym, whether it's in, you know, in your garage or a, a facility that you train in, the train with top of the line material. If you are in a situation where you can eat as good as you possibly can, then eat as, as well as you possibly can. Um, when you get in a more austere environment, then you may have to modify things. Like instead of having some nice barbells and bumps and kettlebells to use in your training, then it might be sandbags and uh, uh, burpees and stuff like that. And right. similarly, right. to the degree you can have good quality food, eat it, and then when you start getting in a more uh, uh, austere environment, then you're going to have to modify things. But Exactly. So that, that's kind of the, you know, what to eat, maybe how to prioritize it when you've got control over things. Eat better when you don't have control over things. Don't don't freak out. Right. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I call that the 80-20 rule for our guys. And, you know, we um, we prescribe the paleo diet, and I wanted to kind of uh, touch on um, 
the zone as well, because I know that, you know, paleo and zone are different, and zone doesn't really speak to the quality of food you put in your body, but do you agree with the the, um, the portioning, you know, 40-30-30 approach to the zone diet? Does that have any place in your uh, in your world? No, I mean, and, you know, for a variety of reasons. One is that I don't like to create food neuroses, and so right. the, the process of getting <laughs> right. in and weighing and measuring your food just – um if you want to see somebody get nuts over their food, that's a good way to do it. Now, if I've got a, a weight class athlete or something like that, like we have a girl, Ursula Grobler, who's on the Olympic team for uh, the 2,000-meter rowing event, and she walks around at 64 kilos, needs to weigh in at 61 kilos, we keep a close eye on her food, but, but right. even with her, it's rare that we're going to get in a weighing and measuring scenario because it, 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 she's she's had, you know, some problems with the food in the past, you know, kind of the psychological stuff. So it's rare that I'm going to get in and tinker with that. And I find that if you just tell people, eat a good hunk of protein, lots of fruits and veggies, get some good fat. If you are recovering well from workouts, then good to go. If you're kind of lethargic and kind of lead-legged, and eat more carbs, particularly post-workout. If uh, you're you're getting a little chubby through the midsection, then dial your food back a little bit. And so I, I find that to be super, super easy. And even, say, like if you're working with a trainer or a coach or something like that, a, a quick uh, photograph of a meal on an iPhone, you know, shipped to your coach or whatever, or you just archiving it, I find that to be so much more effective of managing people's chow versus like a, right. a food, you know, like a real detailed food log. And when you really get in and read like the zone prescriptions and stuff like that, I find it to be really lacking in protein. Um, if you're training at a really high level, it's probably going to be lacking in carbs. And then, you know, just overall caloric content, I, I find it to be lacking. So, it, you know, right. it's, it's kind of dialed in to be a, a barely adequate protein level uh, calorie restricted intervention for people who are overweight and like type 2 diabetic. And in that, that case, I don't see it being terrible, but even then, um, the lack of focus on food quality. And I, I think, you know, if some, let's say somebody's type 2 diabetic, it's too many carbs for the type 2 diabetic. Like if, if we right. carb restrict them, they're going to do better on, on lower levels. And this is one of the things that I saw a lot. Like, it, and it was interesting. It was guys frequently in the military who, we're eating zone proportions, but they still had high blood pressure. We we cut their carb ratio in half, and then their, their blood pressure normalized. And so these guys were carbohydrate sensitive enough that even on zone ratios, they were having blood pressure problems because of insulin spiking and uh, sodium retention and stuff like that. Right. So, right. you know, if folks want to play with the zone, by, by all means, get in and give it a shot. But I, I feel like I've kind of tried that sweater on, and it did uh, – I find it rare <laughs> who, I, who I can right. find a good prescription for that. Yeah. Is there anything to the um, theory that, uh, and this kind of ties into the zone, that that you get um, optimal nutritional uptake when you pair proteins, carbohydrates, and fats in a meal, as opposed to saying, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna munge on this piece of steak as a snack, and then later on I'm gonna have some fruits and veggies and whatnot. But if you know, if you put them all together in a meal, you get better nutritional uptake. I, I would say a emphatic no that the, the mixed meal is probably the least smart way to eat overall. Interesting. And we could we could look at that a couple of ways. One is is actually insulin load. Like Barry Sears puts a, a, a statement out there that a you know like fat will blunt insulin response, and in fact it does not. It enhances insulin response. It slows the rate of entry 
of glucose into the, the bloodstream, but uh, there's massive uh, literature indicating that you actually get a bigger insulin spike out of a mixed meal than you do, say, like a protein fat meal, for example. And and so, there's you know, there's argument on, on that case. And then on the other side of this thing, if we're dealing with a legitimately athletic population, um, one of the, the critical factors that we're thinking about is recovery. And so... When we are considering recovery, either pre- or post-workout nutrition, uh, you want scenarios in which you've got protein and carbs at the exclusion of fat. And then you have other times, let's say like a, a before-bed snack, where you want to maintain some slow-release protein entering your system to, to stay in an anabolic and a, in a recovery-based state, but you don't necessarily want a big insulin release so that it's going to mess with blood sugar levels and stuff like that. So... You, you would, you know, before bed, you might do a protein fat meal, uh, carry workout period, then we're really thinking protein and carbs. And, and, right. you know, in that scenario, the, the rate of, of, uh, uh gastric emptying, if you slow that with a, a big whack of fat, it's actually slowing your recovery from exercise. And this is kind of like exercise physiology 101 stuff. I mean, it's real basic, uh, uh, sports nutrition, sports recovery type things, and it pretty thoroughly chops the zone apart in that regard. Like our, our uh, perfectly balanced, you know, macronutrient meal really doesn't have any place, particularly if we're, we're looking at optimizing performance. You know, what we're looking at then is more carb cycling uh, based on, on activity level and intensity and, and repleting right. glycogen stores in an intelligent myth matter and right. and having a, a whack of fat in a post-workout meal just doesn't make any sense at all unless you're a power lifter and we've got you on a cyclic ketogenic diet now that that's kind of a different right. story but i i i uh i doubt if most of your your folks are uh competitive power lifters you know they're probably over listening to to mark bell right. who does kind of exactly. a cyclic ketogenic diet with paleo you know right right now you know one of the, that that kind of brings me to a, a good question you know with um the typical special ops training regimen, you know, we, we tend to, you know, what, what most people and what all CrossFitters think we do is overtrain, you know, and I built the seal fit workouts around the way that I trained when I, when I was on active duty, you know, just all three workouts a day and just, you know, hitting it hard and recovery was certainly, you know, critical to, you know, that process. And so we, you know, we slept as best we could unless we we're, you know, on a mission. Of course, on a mission, we weren't training actively right we were getting a lot of out you know a lot of um you know load placed on us but it wasn't training it was actually operating so anyways um you know what is how do how do you kind of skew the paleo diet towards someone who's doing the kind of load that we're doing in our training regimen you know i mean it really just just keeping an eye on performance and body fat level sleep and and right. kind of eating appropriate to that i mean it, it uh yeah. Typically, and this is another piece of this, if you're eating good food, you usually have some pretty good appetite regulation. Right, so exactly. You, will, you know, you'll kind of eat at the level that you need for the, the uh, activity that you're doing. Now, if, if you're out on a on a mission, then you may need to prophylactically eat because you're you're at such a high work output that you you know you're you're going to energy out is going to so supersede a, a normal appetite levels that you may have to preemptively eat. So, you know, and right. we would think about this almost like doing like a, an Ironman kind of trap line kind of, kind of get, you need to pre- preemptively eat. So, but other than that, I, I, you know, typically it's the, it's kind of just rinse, lather, repeat, you know, it's, it's right. uh, leading with protein, uh, uh, partitioning carbohydrates more 
in that peri-workout period to kind of uh, take advantage of the, you know, the anabolic characteristics of insulin, um, kind of taking advantage of the, the anti-inflammatory characteristics of like protein fat meals when we're away from from that, that training window. Um, mm-hmm. If we're actively moving, but we need to do that for like 6, 8, 12 hours, then we're, we're uh, you know, consuming a little bit of protein, uh, a good amount of fat, good amount of carbs, to mm-hmm. just kind of keep us moving, you know, and, and then it's right. it's right out of the playbook that we would see with like a, you know, these hundred mile foot races and stuff like that, right. where you keep enough dietary protein in the mix so that people don't have a a, a a serotonin overload kind of effect. Like a real heavy duty endurance activity that lasts for hours will deplete right. blood glucose, then it will deplete branch chain amino acids, and then what's left in the blood is tryptophan, and tryptophan is that precursor for serotonin and melatonin, and there have been you know, cases where these long-durance endurance uh, athletes, uh, they're just eating carbs or they're just eating some carb fat and not really any protein, and they'll actually, like, be running along and then fall asleep or they'll get very, very lethargic and tired. Right. So, you know, yeah. the, we, we need to think about things a little bit more precisely if we have a really long uh, hump ahead of us. But, right. you know, most folks are not going to experience that. But, but right. you know, that, that those are some kind of, like, very on the fringe considerations that you know folks can kick a, kick around a little bit, right? And what you know the um, MRE packet. Have you ever taken a look at or had one of those suckers meal ready to eat? I, it, most of them are kind of gluten bombs, and I'm I'm the celiac right. kid, so like I those things would kill me in like one sitting. <laughs> um, it, we were we were sitting down and and. Uh, uh, gosh, this was maybe two years ago. We were going to try to do like a compendium of what the you know, what was in the different MREs, um, what what could you do to try to, like, you know, trade out with other dudes to, to make the profile right. a little better. You know, it's like, okay, I'll give you my brownie if you give me your peanut butter packet right. and, you know, right. stuff like that. And uh, it, usually folks do pretty well with that. And then, you know, simple things you can do is, like, bring some jerky, bring some uh, some nuts, uh, right. nut butters and stuff like that to the degree that you can you can bring that stuff around. And then if, right. if you do do that, then you can just kind of supplement those things a little bit, and and right. uh, you know, it, on the the pre-deployment schedule, that's when say like you you know you've been eating really really clean, dotting the eyes, crossing the t's, you don't have any gluten. In that pre-deployment schedule, maybe about six weeks before deployment, that's when you should start dropping in like a piece of toast, a cookie, a beer here and there, because a lot of people will get some GI upset that, that can go from like moderate to pretty severe when they first reintroduce uh, gluten in, in particular, you know, like wheat. Right. So that that's one thing that in this community, you know, it, it's kind of one thing if the branch of the military or the job that you have in the military, like you have a quick sprint to the latrine and you're okay. But like if you're dug into a hillside, you're going to be sitting there for like three days and you eat an MRE and then you've got the trots, like that's going to be a serious problem. So right. that, yeah. that's a one one refinement to the program that folks need to think about. Like are you in a, a, a immediate pre-deployment phase and you've been eating really, really clean? It's actually kind of dirty things up a little bit and and uh, live more like uh, Al Bundy from Married with Children and, you know, be ready for the, <laughs> for the dirty food ahead of you. That's hilarious. Yeah, we feed uh, MREs to the folks at the Kokoro camp. So sorry, sorry guys, if you're coming to Kokoro, then <laughs> just, you're just going to have to survive on what we give you. Um, you know, one thing, let's talk about grains, legume, and, and dairy. Is there a, um, let's say you're just getting into um, 
you know, this kind of conscious eating, we'll call it. Uh, I, I assume the first thing we want to cut out if we're, you know, if we're not aware at all about what we're putting into our gullet is sugar, right? You know, just plain old sweets. Is that right? And well, then you would I, cut out something like the grains and then the, or, or do you well, just want to? Well, let's, you know, if we really look at that, I, I guess sugar, yeah, like, like a, 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 in that probably the most common form of, of way that people get sugar is usually, uh, sodas. You know, they're, right. they're drinking some right. sort of like a, a sugary carbonated beverage or juice or something like that. And I got to say Rock that star. stuff is just death. You know, right. it is just death. Like drinking, um, you know, high fructose corn syrup laden, laden drinks. Is, is it like if you value your health, your body composition, like a, when I do stuff for Naval Special Warfare, a big focus of what I'm talking about is, is not just improving performance for guys when they're when they're in the teens or something like that, but when they're out. Like right. when you look at the the health span and the lifespan of say professional athletes, NFL right. football players have an average lifespan of about fifty five. People who've been in special operations community, it's not much better than that. And uh yeah. all of these people, whether we're talking professional athletes or, or guys that have gone through uh, uh, some sort of selection process like SEALs they're genetically tougher. They're, you know, they're mentally tougher. They got better genetics. They can withstand higher workload and not break down. And this stuff will eventually kill you. The data is clear. So, no matter how much it's better to burn out than to fade away, right? Yeah, and if that's the way you want to play it, that that's cool. But you know, right. that's when that burnout happens is when you are actually collecting your pension and you're doing your right. second career. And you've right. still got a wife that's hot enough that you want to spend some time with her, and you've got some kids exactly. and grandkids kind of on the horizon, and then that's when these dudes are dying. So, right. you know, be really clear. You know, I'm not I'm not going to proselytize about how to live one's life, but if, if you know, hanging out a while and collecting your pension and, and being able to have a second career and, you know, like run around with the kids and grandkids, if that's something you value, then you really need to think about the longevity element of this thing and it's clear that it, a pro-inflammatory diet is a big problem. Like we, uh, I don't know if you've, I, I don't know if you've had this guy on. If, if you have, a, a, he's phenomenal. But Colonel Grossman, the guy out of the Naval Academy, he wrote, uh, you know, on killing and killology and all that stuff. And right, it's I love so his clear work. that, like, yeah. you know, inflammation, um, uh, 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 sleep disturbances, all this stuff is a huge factor for guys, and it, it, it's. A lot of it's related back to like head trauma and just firing like a 50 caliber weapon is giving you the equivalent of like a good stiff jab to the melon every time you do it, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. there's a bunch of elements of the job that are inescapable. You know, you're going to experience some sort of trauma, you know, like on, on impact, like if you're, you're skydiving or something like that, mm-hmm. you're going to experience trauma when you're shooting certain, you know, large caliber weapons. You can't get away from that, but what you can fix is what quality of food goes down your pie hole, whether or not you prioritize some sleep, whether or not you prioritize taking a little bit of fish oil and some vitamin D so that your immune system isn't overactive and you're not getting, you know, worse inflammation like in your brain and your heart and lungs than what you need to experience. And those are the things that are going to determine both your performance now but also your longevity later. And, I mean, the, right. the, the data on that stuff is clear. It's crystal clear. Right. Now, I always had a, a question about grain because my, you know, the conventional wisdom about grain was that, you know, when you process grain, then um, essentially it's going to enter your bloodstream, 
you know, faster than glucose and spike your insulin and all that. But in your book, you really talked about the grain as in, you know, having, I think you use the term antigen or, you know, basically doesn't want to be eaten, so it fights back. Can you talk about that mm-hmm. a little bit? Yeah, I mean, our, our understanding of this stuff has kind of gotten more sophisticated with time. So for a long, long time, uh, if, if you thought about nutrition at all, it was just kind of down to only the hormones, you know, hormonal release, right. like carbohydrates release insulin, protein releases right. a little insulin, a little glucagon and stuff like that. Right. Right. And where we've grown over time, we recognize that these foods also have either, you know, kind of pro or anti-inflammatory effects on the, on the body. And inflammation is a, a natural process that's mediated by our, our immune system. If we right. get a cold or the flu or a virus or something like that, then our immune system ramps up and we have markers of increased inflammation, and that's that's good, that's appropriate because we've got an infection that we're fighting. But then if we are having inflammatory responses from our food, which I, I would argue that, you know, grains, grain legumes and dairy are these really problematic foods in that regard, and then also like high fructose corn syrup and a couple other goodies. Um, if we're constantly consuming these pro-inflammatory foods, then we've got, you know, some some serious problems there. And so the the fix with that is avoiding the inflammatory foods, but also getting insulin levels down. So, I mean, it, it's just kind of a, it's another layer of refinement. It's kind of a window within the main window that, that we're kind of understanding that constituents in that food may have some effects on the gut. It may have some effects on the immune system. And all of that does feed back into insulin and glucagon and stuff like that. Right, right. So let's go back to grain, legumes, and dairy. Is there um, is there a ranking of which one's more inflammatory and less inflammatory? Like someone just loves their dairy, and they you know give up grains and legumes. Are they you know are they going to be mostly good? I mean, how do you, how do you really counsel someone who says I, I'm not going to give up my you know my milkshake uh, after you know my workout? That's my primary source of supplementation. Right, right. You know, the, the big, the big, big one is for me is wheat. So you know, right. like uh, that's just the biggie. And so, like, it, 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 in all honesty, if we just had people shift more towards like rice and corn, and right. instead of wheat, I think you would see right. remarkable improvements in health. I mean, like shocking improvements in health. So right. it, it right. that's a real easy way to just kind of be like, okay, I'm going to go gluten free, but I'll eat lots of rice and corn, and and you would. I, I think that depending on the population, um, generally these folks that are in a, a more fit, active, healthy kind of operator, you know, a typical kind of kind of population, um, mm-hmm. they're probably going to motor along fine on with the grains and, and you know from like corn and rice. I'll argue right. that they'll still do better without that, and uh, you know right. we've got some pretty nice testimonials on that stuff. But if they just want to do like, what's my Minimum investment, maximum return. Avoid wheat, right. and you're avoid you're wheat. pretty good to go. Uh, so if we if we ditch the sandwich bread, ditch the uh, wheat based pasta, which is pretty much the two main source and cereals, right? Those are the three kind right. of victims right. or or not victims, but uh, yeah, yeah. Sources. And, and so like you know, if you go out for if you're going to go out to eat, instead of getting a sandwich, do some Mexican food and do corn tortillas. And, and that's a real easy alternative, you know, and, right, and a, right. a, a way that you could you could navigate things with that. Now, where this changes is if I'm dealing with a, a sick, inflamed, autoimmune kind of kind of population, that's where they get like this super stringent: no grains, no legumes, no dairy. And the reason why we do that is we're you know we, we're reversing these autoimmune conditions, like life-threatening things, right. like 
lupus and multiple sclerosis, rheumatoid arthritis and stuff like that. For a healthier population, then we may not need to be as, as stringent or not as stringent all the time. And uh, right. definitely the weed is kind of the, the, the baddie. You know, it's the thing to, to focus on. Right. And let's say you go out to, you know, you go out to sushi and, and you want to have, you know, or, or like Thai food. It, it's like a, if you sniff around on the menu and it's like, okay, this dish has wheat noodles, this dish has rice noodles, have rice noodles. Right. You know, it's right. real basic, you know, what uh, little operational decisions like that that could really, really improve your, your right. performance and how you feel and that, that level of inflammation in the body. Right. Yeah, I love my hamburger salad. Just order it without the bun and throw it on your salad. Yeah, I mean, it's it really, at the end of the day, it's pretty darn easy. I mean, it, it's rare that I can find myself in a situation where I just literally can't find anything to eat. I mean, I, I can usually stackle something together out of a, a 7-Eleven. I go grab some, some hot dogs, <laughs> throw them in a tray, throw a bunch of sauerkraut on top of it, and then almost inevitably they've got like a you know, some, some nuts and then like a, an apple or a banana floating around the front counter that I can grab. Right. And so exactly you should do a went. blog post on the, on the 7-Eleven diet. That, that's oh, dude, I, I've, done I've done it. I've done it. You know, where I'll, I'll go in and it's just because people will bellyache and they're, they're just kind of pussies about the whole thing. And it, 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 again, right. like, I don't really care what people do. Like they can do whatever they want, but if they really, you know, if they want to legitimately give this stuff a shot and, and you know, I, I equate it to, like, trying on a pair of jeans and, you know, like, do you like your ass in the jeans? And, and you know, like, like <laughs> try this thing on and see if it works for you. And, and what I'm finding is generally people are like, yeah, I kind of like it. You know, I like the results. I, I, I have better body comp. I carry a little more muscle. I'm a little bit leaner. My recovery is better. My sleep's better. But then when you get in those difficult situations, like how do you stack all this together? And again, like almost inevitably you can find some some way to modify what you have going on. You go into a Quiznos and you're like, hey, man, give me two. I'm going to order two sandwiches. Just take the meat and throw it in a bowl, put all the veggies that would be on the sandwiches and throw some salad dressing on top and you're done. And you'll, you know, I mean, that's not that hard. And if you're completely addicted to bread, then I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you're right. that, that's, you're that's a different story. You know? Yeah, I'm, you know I'm that not brings up a really through. good point. What what I've um, what I noticed and, and what a lot of people told me is that when you if you're going, um, you know, if you've got kind of the average Western diet and then you go straight to paleo, you know, like three, two, one, go, that you will experience withdrawal symptoms from from the wheat and the grain and pasta and stuff like that. You will crave it. Um, yeah, have you experienced that? Yeah, it might be fairly miserable for a while. Yeah. We, in, in the book, we had an example, and like this is a, a no joke, real story. The woman was living on the streets and addicted to crack at one time, and I mean, just just through some kind of miracle, like she she got herself together, started putting herself in school. Um, but when she got off the crack, she started smoking and just like eating tons of, of like sugar and, and, you know, uh, fake good type, type things. And then she started working out at a CrossFit gym and they did a little consulting with me about like, Hey, how can we tackle this? And so we, you know, we just basically started easing her into this thing. But when she was going off of sugar and wheat, she wrote me a testimonial and it was basically like, this is, so much harder than getting off a of crack was. And, like, this was from a crack addict who, who is now, like, a, an addiction and recovery um, counselor. And, and right. so it's a, it sounds ridiculous, but it's a no-joke deal. I mean, and, and you don't, 
people don't lay in bed at night thinking about like pork loin and, and grapes and watermelon and stuff. They're they're thinking about little Debbie snack cakes and the the bag of cookies and the you know the carton of ice cream and there's some you know this gets super nerdy geeky stuff but uh you know when we look at like the neuroregulation of appetite the, the way that the brain actually knows whether we are hungry or not those foods all have proteins in them that hit the opiate receptors and it's the same receptors opiate opiate and the dopamine receptors the same things that cocaine and heroin and alcohol and those are the same dials in our head that get spun from those addictive substances so it, it's not at all surprising that people get pretty spun out on that. I mean, it, it, they're, they're legitimately like addicted substances for sure. That's incredible. So you're saying that, the, that, that when I eat a candy bar, that I'm having the same but muted response as if I took a hit of crack cocaine? Yeah, and you know, like a candy bar, let's say it's a Snickers, I would say that that one would actually be less than like eating a bagel with... Um, you know, like a bagel sandwich kind of gig. Like the, the, the wheat, again, is really the baddie in this thing. You know, right. so it, right. it's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And so that, you know, and in that, that ordering, you know, uh, people usually find that, you know, they'll like dairy. They might, and dairy can be a little bit cracky, but, you know, you stick dairy plus wheat, dairy plus sugar, wheat plus sugar. Right. When you start mm-hmm. adding these things together, they, they've got a pretty potent response. And then, you know, think about this. Um, Corn doesn't really have the same type of addictive type proteins in it, and you don't really see a lot of, you know, it's, you don't have like a, a, you know, corn, you know, some sort of a tortilla type thing with sugar and, and like caramel on it. I mean, it, you right. know, you make churros out of wheat, you don't make churros out of corn. And, uh, so even to, to some degree when you look around at like what are desserts typically made out of, you know, right. it's more of the cracky type stuff, so. Right, right. That's fascinating. So when we tell our athletes, you know, because I'm completely on board with your assessment that, you know, the zone diet and, and, and any, you know, irrational focus on diet is going to lead to some dietary problems, right, or just, you know, just being a little bit crazy, um, unbalanced. And so we recommend, you know, kind of you have an 80-20 approach. You know, do do paleo, you know, 80% of the time roughly, and then, you know, those times where it's just inconvenient, then just don't worry about it, right? As long as yeah. you're, you know, you, yeah. if you shifted your metabolic engine and you're and you're basically running on all cylinders most of the time, then then your body will reward you. You know, again, unless you're going for the CrossFit Games, which most of our athletes aren't, um, you know, you're good to go with that that prescription. Yeah, totally. And and like you know, it's something that I always um, try to emphasize to people, particularly folks in the in this operations community, uh, special operations community. Um, this should really simplify your simplify and improve your life. Like at the end right. of the day, this should make your life easier. Now there may be some learning and a little bit of adjustment and stuff like that. But if you sleep better and you have better recovery and you generally don't have blood sugar crashes and stuff like that, then your life should be significantly better. As, but right. you know, if you try this thing out. You're like, dude, this is, you know, you've given it over a, a month. We we need a month's adaptation period here, especially if you've been, you know, living like a cockroach for a while or something like that. <laughs> and just kind of banking, you know, leveraging your genetics to be able to eat and drink and do whatever you want to do. Then those, those folks are going to have a rough time coming coming through this. But give it a month, see how it goes. And if you're legitimately like, dude, this is just miserable. I think I feel a little better, but I, I don't really know. Then, you know, 
go back to doing what you were doing. But what I what I typically find is folks are like, yeah, this is easy now that I've got it figured out, and the return on investment is so powerful that I can't really make a, a solid argument for eating a different way, you know, in general. But if I, you know, if I'm, you know, I'm out at a, you know, a family event or something and, and there's some, you know, some cake or some pie passing around and you you do it and then that, that way grandma doesn't, you know, chastise you for avoiding her, her dessert or something like that. You know, I mean, it's, it's um, you just kind of figure out when to fight your battles and all, all that sort of thing. Right. A um, couple, couple more questions that I have, and then you know what we'll, what I like to do is just open it up. I'll have Dustin open it up for a couple questions, and and uh, and then we'll call it a day. But what about um, two two things that you know uh, are always in my mind is how much fish oil should I be taking, and uh, is it okay to drink alcohol, and and you know how much is kind of okay? I mean, I know just you know from a general health standpoint, we want to limit our alcohol in, intake, but is there a is there a healthier drink to drink if you're going to have a, a drink a couple times a week or on the weekends? Sure. Let's hit the fish, sure. oil, fish oil first. You know, the fish oil thing, um, I think if you're in a, a, a non-deployment status, then I think people can run around like five to six grams a day. It seems to be a pretty good spot. Uh, uh, and you just kind of have to look on what, what fish oil, you know, package you have, whether it's liquid right. or capsules and, and figure out about five to six grams of EPA and DHA in a in a pre-deployment and a deployment scenario where there's the potential for some injury and, and the, you know, knowing that fish oil is a blood thinner, I wouldn't go more than about two to three grams a day. Mm-hmm. And and that, that's the amount that you would get out of like a tin of uh, sardines. And so it, I mean, right. you, you could easily meet that level from, from dietary means. But if you want to do a little bit of supplemental stuff, to keep inflammation down while you're in a, a deployment scenario, like at about two grams, two to three grams seems completely safe. And then, you know, on the on the booze thing, like I, that's just a a tough one. Like I, I try to steer people more towards like, you know, the NorCal margarita, like doing right. uh, tequila, lemon juice, and a splash of soda water, just basically doing like clear booze with, you know, maybe a little bit of, of lemon or lime juice, maybe a splash of like, you know, some other sort of sort of fruit juice or just a little little dose of sweetness. Um, but instead of doing beer, instead of doing like kind of sugary drinks and stuff like that, I absolutely love beer. But you know, you've got the gluten issue, you've got the caloric content issue. It's a it's a tough sell. And then you know, uh, there is a reality like people with here's an interesting thing: people will will use a drinking binge as a means for going in and, and getting a testosterone replacement. And the way that they will do really? this is huh. they'll, they'll drink a ton, they will stay up late, and then you go to the doctor, you know, you do that two two days in a row, something like that. You go to the doctor and you've got the testosterone level of a 12-year-old girl. And, <laughs> and so, so, you know, it, it will absolutely emasculate you on your, your testosterone production. So, I mean, that's kind of one thing, but Okay, so you're trying to game the system and, you know, maybe get on some testosterone replacement. Okay, whatever, that's cool. But if you're consistently drinking hard, and hard being more than maybe about two drinks a night or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you, you're, you're going to have some performance and recovery problems. And, and right. uh, again, like we're talking about a group of people that are, are genetically like tougher and more resilient and all the rest of that stuff. But dude, it, it, it they aren't Wolverine. Like they are going to. Exactly reach an impact point and and a lot of that like a uh, Dave Warner who's a 
I think he was a team three guy for, for about yeah, 12 yeah, years. And then uh, yeah, he runs uh, across at Seattle. He just had a really good observation, which was the, the dudes that could drink all night and then get up and kick everybody's ass at PT. Like that worked for about three to five years. And right. then they started really losing ground the, the five years to 10 year mark. And then from beyond right. that, if they didn't, if they didn't have kind of a come to Jesus moment and really change their lifestyle, like the wheels fell off the wagon on those dudes. So, I think I'm a I'm a case in point in that. I mean, I used to run with the guys quite hard in the um, early days when I was at SEAL Team Three, and I it worked like you said for about four years or five years, and then you know the performance just started to you know be impaired. And I, I was eating you know Domino's pizza and drinking beer four or five times a week with it with my teammates, and that um, that didn't last long. Obviously, after that. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you start getting some some diminishing returns out of that scene for sure. Exactly. That prescription is not recommended these days. No, um, no. That's great stuff. You know, one thing that um, that Tim Ferriss recommends in his book, and he's got a lot of very interesting and probably somewhat controversial ideas, but this one made a lot of sense. Is if you're going to drink, you know, drink at least a couple hours before bed to get you know let the yeah. sugar kind of flush through your system, so you don't have sleep impairment from the alcohol. Yeah, yeah, you know, booze, it uh, blocks the ability to go into too deep, restorative sleep. And uh, uh, there's a, a really sharp doc who's down in Coronado, Kirk Parslate, who's who's been doing a lot of stuff with the, the uh, teams down there. And, uh, you know, all of these these over-the-counter sleep medications, uh, the prescription stuff, Lunesta, alcohol, you know, what, what, what these things do is they induce a state of unconsciousness, but it's not sleep. You know, sleep is a completely distinct metabolic process and physiological process. And uh, alcohol blocks a significant part of that. It blocks the really deep uh, level three, four sleep. And you don't really recover. You don't release growth hormones. You don't produce testosterone. Your, your connective tissue doesn't recover. And so if you're going to, if you're going to do some drinking, I mean, the funny thing is it's like, well, what do I do? Well, you drink earlier and, and then leave a window of time. Uh, later, you know, so that you've got a, a wider margin of error before you go to bed and people will say, well, how, how much earlier do I drink? And it's basically like as early as you can. Like you want as much time between the alcohol consumption and, and going, you know, before you go to bed as you possibly can. I, I still haven't found a culture where they start drinking at like three in the afternoon and then they turn on the disco music and you get your dance on and then you're in bed by like eight thirty or nine o'clock. But, uh, that, that's, uh, <laughs> That would be nice if that ever happened, but I don't think it's going to work. So yeah, that would be kind of nice. Um, <laughs> listen, um, I'd like to open it up for some uh, questions if you got time, Rob. Sure, sure. Okay, Dustin uh, is going to go ahead and unmute the line. So if you got a, a burning question out there and you're listening in, then um, in about ten seconds, I think the line will be unmute, and uh, we'll, um, we'll, you know, we'll hold some questions. One kind of last question I had is, you know. What if you are one of these people who, you know, this is, this information is, you know, revelationary and you're listening in and you're saying, holy cow, you know, Rob just described, you know, me, I've, I've got, you know, I'm overweight and I've got heart, you know, some sort of, you know, early onset of, of heart disease and, you know, pre-diabetes or whatever. And, um, you know, obviously I, my doctors haven't been prescribing diet. I think if I dial in, I'm going to math. <laughs> so I think we're on oh, yeah. here. Anyways, let's finish. So, if you know, how long does it take your body to respond to the paleo if you're really sick and and you know 
to come back into like homeostasis. So. Oh, shoot. You know, people start feeling better about the people that can drink for I mean, literally within, so within a couple of days. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But, it, you know, they can... They'll start feeling worse sometimes again because they're kind of, you know, they're coming off sugar, they're coming off of uh, wheat and, and whatnot. But we we can see blood lipid changes in in a week. Um, no you know, like changes in cholesterol, changes in triglycerides, and stuff like that. Yeah, very very quickly. Right. right. Okay. Is anyone? Some obviously someone's not paying attention, and when we unmute it, they're talking in the background. So that that could be a little. Um, Distracting. Okay, but if anyone out there has a question for um, Rob, why don't we uh, let's hit him up and then we'll uh, we'll see what comes up. And we'll just take a few questions. Um, hey, Rob. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you're uh, familiar with Mark Sisson and, and Primal Blueprint, and if you are, could you elaborate a little bit on how uh, Paleo and Primal differ? Oh gosh, yeah. Mark's a, a good friend of mine. We probably talk at, at least once or twice a week. Um, he's a great dude. I, I love. His program, I mean, really, they're, they're kissing cousins. I mean, I, I always joke that I'm the paleo guy who eats primal because, you know, Mark, Mark's uh, – really the distinction there is the primal gig is a little more lenient on the dairy piece. But even for me, I'm, I'm lenient with it after the, the 30-day intervention. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I usually just try to hump people's knees to really eat very, very clean for 30 days, no grains, no legumes, no dairy, then reintroduce and kind of see how you do. Mark tackles it a little bit differently in that he'll give you a little bit of an 80-20 kind of gig uh, uh, on the, the ramp up until you hit a point where you're not getting the results you want. If you've got an autoimmune disease and it's not resolving, then he will tighten things up. I tighten things up from the beginning. He'll give you a little bit of a run-up, um, but, I mean, it's it's two sides of the same coin. I, I think his book is outstanding. His, his uh Website is phenomenal, so I, I mean, I really can't can't say enough good stuff about Mark. He's a good dude. I agree, and I think Mark's generally geared uh, toward you know just the probably the older set. You know, he's he's coming at it from his kind of his perspective in the world. Whereas you, I think you came out of the athletic slash CrossFit world, and so you know your um, your writing and your appeal started from that kind of perspective as well. But they they are meeting in the middle of. If I'm not mistaken, both your flaws. Yeah, and, and you know, I would I would almost put myself more in the uh, I'm coming from the medical sick, broken side more even than the, right. the athletic <laughs> side. I mean, I, I definitely catered to that scene, but that that's been formative in why I'm so stringent up front because we've seen such right. shocking changes with people with like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or something. Yeah, right, right. Cool. Any right. other questions out there? Hey, Rob, Rob quick question. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Hey, Rob, this is Kurt uh, in San Francisco. Mark, great program, hey, by the way. Um, question for you. Uh, I had some good results with a book called Nutrient Timing, which really focuses on using a high glycemic carb and a protein directly after working out. Um, mm-hmm. How does the paleo feel about that? And um, kind of do, do you support that? or And how would you kind of um, teach people to eat after? immediately after a workout. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, early in the, the conversation, Mark asked me a, a couple of uh, questions kind of kind of alluding to that, you know, just really keeping an eye on, on post-workout nutrition. Um, we work like, with some very high-level folks like Ursula Grobler, who's the world record holder in the 2,000-meter rowing event at the Olympic Training Center, Glenn Cordoza, who's the IFC lightweight uh, world champion, um, 
uh, Frank Muir and Forrest Griffin have been doing this stuff, and, and there's a pretty cool YouTube video about Frank Muir talking about me and kind of like giving me some some props on his his food. And all that we do, I mean, post workout is usually just like some some sort of protein, like some chicken fish meat, and then like a yam or a sweet potato. I tinkered with things, you know, like whey protein plus like waxy maize starch or you know something like that. And yeah, that's uh, what I was using. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it's rare that I find the person who's at the volume or the intensity of training that they really need that relative to um, just real food, honestly. And, and uh, it's just something that what I would recommend doing is comparing, uh, you know, try to have a similar training block with regards to, like, training, you know, volume and intensity and whatnot. Do one block with the, you know, the immediate post-workout meal being, the waxy may starch and, and like a, a whey protein or something, and then do the other one with a, a solid meal and just kind of see how you do. But I see enough people have GI problems from the whey or or from the, the waxy may starch that, I, you know, it, it's uh, even though maybe it's getting in their system a little faster, but then we're fighting some other upstream inflammatory problems. And so I think the basic concept is bulletproof, you know, like take care of that post-workout window but then there's a little bit of tinkering and refining to do and just see, you know, does that liquid food actually benefit you more than real food? And, and you know, also there's a little there's a little backside to that, too. I'm just so reticent to recommend um, uh, uh, shakes and stuff like that to the general scene because folks who are overweight and sick and inflamed, they, they're always look, they're, they're looking for a cheat, and so I just I, I don't give them any any out at all. So even for the athletes, I'm real reticent to, to recommend that stuff, just because then it, it uh, everybody thinks they're an athlete, and then they end up fat and, and sick. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, totally. Rob, that's great. Uh, Rob, real quick, John from Orlando, and, and you said it there on as far as cheat. Uh, as far as a cheat meal, uh, you know, even outside of the 30-day window, if you're kind of doing paleo all the time, are, are you, you know, is it okay to go out and have that pizza, or would you rather, you know, paleo it up, or kind of what's your thought on that as far as either a motivation or just something to to be able to do every now and again? You know, like, if I'm, again, I'm kind of a gluten kind of nut, nut case guy, and so, like, if I'm going to, like, dive in front of a, a bus and save somebody, it's about the gluten deal, so... Let's say you're going to go out and kick your heels up and you've got an option of pizza and pizza and beer or nachos and tequila. I would do the nachos and tequila because okay. you've got corn and cheese versus wheat and cheese. And then let's say you're going to go get some dessert. I would do more, you know, like ice cream and dark chocolate versus like a cake yeah. or cookies or something like that. So. You know, and then in, in that way, I don't, I don't even look at it as like cheat meals. It's just. The, you know, you end up in a, a we'll end up in a Mexican food place, and there's some really good food, and the nachos look really good, and I just have some nachos, and I'm not really like, oh my god, this is my cheat meal, and I don't, um, I don't set it up like a heroin addict kind of gig where I'm planning my cheat meal like 12 days in advance because it, uh, <laughs> it is, it is some epic, you know, kind of blow up. I just like it to roll in with your normal eating. If you end up someplace where there's some good food, you know, there's some like some flan or like a, a gluten free. Uh, tort or something, do kick your heels up, you know, then, then you have your steak, you have a glass of wine, you have some grilled veggies because you saw that there was that gluten-free tort on the menu. You're like, dude, that's where I'm going to put my carbs. I'm going to, I'm going to have one glass of wine instead of two, and then I'm going to have that tort at the end. And like that, that just still seems like a totally kick-ass meal to me, you know. I mean, a, a big right. steak and some veggies and a glass of wine and a, 
uh, a really nice, like, artisanal uh, uh, gluten-free torque. Like, that seems pretty legit. And I just didn't even blink an eye at that. You know, that that seems like a great meal. So, All right, it does. <laughs> well, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Totally. That's that. I love your uh, take on that, Rob, because it's really in alignment with mine. And I, I'm kind of laughing, thinking about again Tim Ferriss's uh, approach. Um, and I've got to get him on this this program because I think it'd be a really, really interesting call. But uh, Tim, you know, I think he says basically his his cheat day is Sunday, and he does program it, and he gorges himself to the point where he gets sick and doesn't want to eat, you know, that crap ever again. And so he's back back on his diet by Monday. Yeah, I don't, rec- you know, Tim, don't recommend that Tim's approach a, personally. Yeah, Tim's a friend of mine, but there's a couple other things like that where I'm just kind of like throwing my hand over my face, like oh, I don't know if I would throw that one out there. But yeah, yeah, to, to each their own, though. I mean, tinker with it. Exactly. My, my big, yeah. my big thing with stuff like that is it's kind of like people, people end up doing the that one day bender of hookers and cocaine, and then they don't come back. Like right. they're and just it turns gone. Into two, three, yeah. four, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions out there for Rob? Yeah, I have, I have a question, Stephen, New Jersey. Um, your, your your comment on testosterone was actually pretty timely because a very good friend of mine just told me that his testosterone was at like two fifty, and they wanted to put pellets under his skin. Um, mm-hmm. And I think your testosterone comments were based around around alcohol before. Um, right. Right. What what the diet? How, how old is this dude? You, uh, he's fifty five. Let's say he's 58. Huh. Yeah, you know, you, and then like how, how tight is his lifestyle? Like, is he eating better? Is he getting some good vitamin D? Like, those are some big things to check out uh, upstream because um, all those will antagonize uh, testosterone production. You know, like, if you if you have a, a ton of stress, bad sleep, um, you, you produce a lot of cortisol, the cortisol uh, will compete with the, the substrate that either it'll either turn into testosterone or cortisol. And so if you're really overtrained, you know, uh, uh, real stressed out, bad sleep, um, that that's where training decreases start happening when you're overtraining is you start producing more cortisol. And there's this process called the pregnenolone steal where you, you steal the substrates that should be getting turned into testosterone and they, they go into cortisol. So, I mean, there's some... There's some stuff to look at with that. Now, all that stuff said, if the dude's 55 and he's at 280, but he's otherwise got, you know, he's eating paleo and he's trying to fix his sleep and, and stuff like that, um, I would definitely, you know, check out a good anti-aging doc and start looking at ways to, to prop that scene up. If, if there's one thing, whether you're male or female, if you, if you can get some help uh, dietarily, lifestyle-wise and everything to bring your hormone status back into line with what it was when you were youthful, I think there's some really good benefits to that. I, I think it's it's weird in our country. We're very puritanical about um, therapeutic hormone replacement, and it, it's kind of wacky. I mean, it, it's it, you're just replacing something that's naturally there anyway, but we have some, you know, we're, we're so puritanical about the, the athletes, you know, uh, drug, you know, doping and all that sort of stuff that then it kind of spills over into, like, the life maintenance um, uh, scene. If you have a type 2 diabetic, I, I would argue that a, a low-carb diet is the intervention that you got to do. But let's say you're going to do a pharmacological intervention, you're going to give them a drug. If you have a type 2 diabetic male, the one thing that you could give them that would fit all metabolic parameters you have on, whether it's cholesterol or inflammation or whatever, is give them testosterone, all of their stuff improves. Insulin sensitivity, the cholesterol, the whole 
ball of wax. Now I think there's a lot of other stuff you need to think about, like aromatization of testosterone and estrogen and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think folks should be giving a little bit of thought towards that stuff and, and tackling it in an intelligent way. But I would really get their food and vitamin D and lifestyle in check first. Otherwise, you're really not going to get the, the benefit out of the, the you know, the tinkering. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank you. Great stuff. Let's have, let's have one more question. I know there's a, a lady out there. I have a question. This get... is, there we are. This is Debbie in Oregon. Um, hey, and one is for Mark. Is this being recorded for archive later? Yes, it is. Okay. And um, for Rob, you mentioned uh, about wheat in particular. What about oats? And for people who are looking... Go ahead. Oh, go for it. Go for it. Yeah, for people who are looking for another protein supplement, I'm coming at it from another point of view because I'm a nurse and sometimes I deal with people who have had bariatric surgery and they have a hard time getting enough protein. So um, I've recommended the whey protein in the past. But if that's an inflammatory protein for them, do you have a secondary recommendation or a secondary uh, preference? Oh, gosh. Uh, so, you know, wheat, rye, oats, barley, millet all contain... A, a, a either gluten or proteins that are, are virtually indistinguishable from gluten. They're maybe like two or three amino acids different. So, I mean, they're, they're damn near, you know, the same thing. And immunologically, they, they're highly reactive. Uh, most dietitians consider oats to be gluten-free, which as a chemist, I would say, yeah, it is because gluten is three amino acids different than a venin, which is, is what's in oats, but oats still cause a, a Wicked uh, uh, GI response, so I, you know, that's, that's okay. kind of where that stuff exists. And then, it, you know, it, it's just such a. I don't even know what to say about the bariatric scene. You know, it's like so we perform a uh, pretty high risk surgery, um, reducing the ability for this individual to consume food to a degree that now we have a hard time um, reaching a, a critical mass with regards to basic nutrient intake. Uh, I, I I just I don't I don't know I mean the the um the recidivism on on this thing too like usually the the bariatric surgery you, you've got about a two to five year window before they're kind of back heading back up the, the slope again but um insurance companies will pay for it because I I think they're kind of hoping that the person dies somewhere in that process and and cease to uh, cost them money so. Um, I, I honestly don't know don't know what to to tell you I mean the, the when we give people, here's an interesting thing. When people have had a gastric bypass, whether it's banding or, or you know, actual surgical excision of, of the, the stomach mass, they get an enhanced insulin response to food. So even smaller amounts of food, smaller amounts of carbohydrate produce an even larger uh, a negative metabolic response to the meal. And so this thing just seems like such a goat rope to me. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't it's know. Bad I, and then even, you know, and I agree with you, but dealing with a patient, but dealing with a patient that is post bariatric surgery, and I'm trying to help them with a protein recommendation. Right. Do you have a second preference after whey? No, because they all do the same thing. That's the problem. Like okay. Liquid food is liquid food is bad. Like you, you uh, when you think about the rate at which this stuff enters the blood, it, it's really, it's really bad, both on the carbohydrate and the protein level and that's really the big problem with these these kind of insulin spiking and, and kind of pro inflammatory conditions and, and okay. why it will kind of end up kind of getting them down the road to to you know some other problems. So the 
the liquid food again is problematic, but then I, I know, you know, these people are dealing with having like a, a apple sized, you know, um, stomach to, to eat with at the end of this thing. So it's, uh, that's why I only did one year of medical school and, and, uh, grabbed a parachute and jumped <laughs> out the door. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't want to be within spitting distance of any of that stuff. I, it's, uh, I don't know what to do. Like, God love you for doing that, but it, it's just dumb. It's like working in the funny farm. You know, it's it's, uh, it's a tough <laughs> Some deal, man. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm I apologize that I don't have a, a more sound response. That's okay, thank you. you. Know, it, 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 to the degree you can educate the folks to eat paleo esque, you know, lowish carb and and uh, uh, nutrient dense veg, veggies and stuff like that. But but uh, it's tough. Like it, it literally, they limit the amount of food that people can eat to such a degree that they they then start pureeing and processing food to get it in them easier, which just seems insane to me, like just patently insane. So, um, and you know, there's some really good, interesting deal. Like I, I had to reach out from some local docs here in Reno and one of them is a uh, uh, plastic surgeon and for their program, in, instead of a, uh, doing liposuction, somebody will come in and they're like, hey, I want to do some liposuction. They're like, cool, that'll cost this, but what we're going to do first is this lifestyle intervention where they get them on my book and they do a, a paleo challenge, like almost identical to what we do in the gym, and then six, eight, 12 weeks later, the person has lost a ton of weight, and then they end up kind of heading into other routes with the, the plastic surgery instead of doing the, the lipo. And so, I mean, I, I think this, you know, what we really need to look at is just, like, give people a, a legitimate, you know, effective uh, uh, treatment methods, which is a kind of ancestrally-based diet, and and we'll start getting some some headway. But obviously, that's a that's a whole other gig. I mean, a, a, the surgical wing in the hospital is the moneymaker. You know, you, you take away the surgery, and there's not a lot of cash that's generated then. So, Wow. Hey, listen, this has been a terrific, terrific call, Rob. I, I wish we could keep going, but I know you got things to do, and, and uh, as do all of our listeners. So I wanted to, you know, thank you, you know, you know, immensely from the bottom of my heart for your time here, and I, you know, it's just been very enlightening to me. I've actually learned a ton from you on this call, and have to go adjust some some of the things I'm teaching my folks here at SealFit. So I really am grateful <laughs> for that. Um, so having said that, we will follow up, Rob, and I'm looking forward to maybe uh, personally meeting you soon. And, uh, again, thank you and good luck with all of your endeavors. And I appreciate thanks, everything. Thanks, man. I'm always a huge fan of what you're doing, so thanks for having me on. You're welcome. It's been my pleasure. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Man, I told you that would be cool. And was I right? Rob is just chock full of information. Check him out at robwolf.com. His book is The Paleo Solution. So. Awesome stuff, and I really appreciate it, Rob. Thank you very much. Listen, um, before we go, I want to remind you that this show is sponsored by MetLife Defender. It's ML Defender, which is a new identity theft protection program uh, backed by MetLife, and uh, I use it now. Uh, I kind of upgraded from LifeLock. It's more comprehensive, and it's a it's a really important uh, component to your overall uh, safety and security. You know, I teach people how to defend themselves physically, but you know, I can't really teach you how to defend yourself uh, digitally, and this is what they do, all right? So uh, get it before, you know, someone hacks your credit card and makes your life miserable, all right? Um, just want to protect the tribe, and this is an important area, you know? So I uh, wouldn't uh, endorse it if I didn't believe in it. Okay, folks, uh, stay focused, train hard, and have fun. We'll see you next time. Hoo-yah, Coach Devine out. 
show when you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frog. Men. 